0: This morning we're going to be in Philippians chapter 2, so if you have your Bible, and if you need one, there's some in the the pews there. About every third or fourth chair underneath there, there's a a Bible you can use. Welcome to use that. And um, kind of a favorite theme of mine, um, the idea of working out your salvation. It's a a tremendous idea, tremendous truth that we have as Christians. Uh, If you're a Christ follower, this is something that that we're involved in all the days of our lives, and so... Um, really important that we focus on it. We're just going to focus... Um, I'm going to be teaching primarily verses 12 and 13, but just for the sake of context and for the sake of kind of uh, bringing some bookends around those two verses, I'd like to read starting at verse 1 and then read down to um, verse 16. I'll make some passing references to those verses, but um, it's good to, to have those uh, in mind as we focus on verses 12 and 13. So let me read verses 1 to 16, and then we'll, then I'll pray, then we'll, then we'll dive in. So, Therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if there's any fellowship of the Spirit, if there's any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, Let each esteem others better than himself. And let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. And let this mind or let this attitude be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery or something to be held on to, to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Do all things without murmuring and disputing, That you may become blameless and harmless, children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life, so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain or labored in vain. Let me pray for us. Lord, I pray that you would really speak to our hearts wonderfully and clearly and powerfully today that um, your word would would so affect us that even for everyone here, that today would be a pivotal day uh, a day to look back on for all of us, a day that we will remember when you impacted us uh, with this great truth that you would impact us in such a way and that our hearts would be receptive to you that we would from, from, from today going forward, that things would be different, Lord, in the best sense. So Lord, uh, speak to us, we pray. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. So there's two verses here. Let me, let me focus on these two verses again, verses 12 and 13. In verse 12, we see the Christian's responsibility, and in, th- in, in verse 13, we see God's divine enabling. So what we have here is a command followed by a promise. A command to do something which is followed then by a promise that god will help you to do it he the lord doesn't just kind of throw us out in the the life raft of of uh you know the christian faith and throw us out to sea and say good luck here's a here's a paddle you know don't lose it you know and um a little bit of sunscreen and you know a gallon of water something like that when he's when he's telling us to live a certain way he's he's enabling us to do it and so those two things always go together. Sometimes you see the promise come before uh, the command and, or sometimes you see the command come and then it's followed by the promise. But things are always put together that way. So when we see these things, please don't be tempted to say, well, I can't do that, you know. Well, we can't do it in our own strength to be sure, the things that God would have us to do. But we can do it in His strength. And uh, if we're surrendering to Him, um, many, many great things can be done. I heard it terrific before I read this. Um, I, I use the word, and we use the word surrender a lot, you know, in the church. And some people might say, well, what does that mean exactly? What does it mean to surrender to God? If you think about two, two armies, and they're battling, they're battling, they're battling, and finally one of them says, we need to surrender. To surrender is to join the winning side. That's pretty great, isn't it? When you surrender, yes, you're admitting that you can't win, but you're also joining the winning side. So if I use this phrase today, surrender, if I use that word today, join the winning side, which is God. And, and, and the winning side, God happens to be for you, by the way. And so the things that he's telling us to do, if you're a follower of Christ, he's going to enable you to do it. He's not going to just, you know, say some things and stand there tapping his foot and with his hands on his waist, you know, that kind of thing. So verses 12 and 13, Therefore, my beloved... As you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it's God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. So first we look at the Christian's responsibility. Paul says, and God says through Paul, work out your, work out your salvation. We notice first what it doesn't say. It doesn't say work for your salvation. Huge difference there. Salvation is a gift given to men and women who recognize their need for forgiveness. Salvation is the gift of God. And so when, when you see things like this, this isn't uh, these commands are not to put you uh, in, into the place where God can love you or something like that or the place where you are saving yourselves or anything like that. To work out your salvation is not the same as... It, it does, definitely does not mean work for your salvation. Salvation is when we ask God for forgiveness. We recognize... I'm, I've sinned. I, I've sinned. I've lived for myself. I've hurt people. I've hurt myself. I'm, I'm guilty before God. God, forgive me. And God doesn't sweep our sins under the rug. He doesn't just kind of put them off in the corner and say, okay, uh, we'll get along. I'll just choose not to look at that pile of sins over in the corner. No, Christ died for our sins. Your sins are actually paid for by a substitute, and the substitute is Jesus. And he dies on the cross and when your sins are paid for, it's like being in jail and somebody, says, somebody comes along and pays the fine for you. $5,000 or six months in jail. You don't have the money, so off to jail you go. Somebody comes and satisfies the demands of the court and says, I'll pay. They come and let you out of jail and say, how did that happen? Well, somebody else paid for you. Would you like to receive that? Well, I may be dumb, but I'm not stupid. Sure, I'll receive that, you know. And you and you and you go and, and you're released and you're free because somebody else paid for it. This is the same idea in Christ in the Christian life. Somebody else has paid for your sins. Will you receive that? It's a gift. So this verse is not saying work for your salvation. The Bible never tells us to work for our salvation. Sadly, there are some in our community and communities really all over the world that are doing things and trying to earn the favor of God and trying to earn their salvation. And if they're honest with you, they're not even sure that they're really saved. They say, who can know? Uh, Well, the Christian can know. Because the Bible says you can be sure that you are saved. You can be sure that you're forgiven. And so look at your notes there. Ephesians 2, uh, verses 8 and 9. For by God's grace you have been saved through faith. That not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. God's favor is, is is God's grace is divined as favor and a gift and kindness. It's God's kindness that offers people salvation, and so it's a gift of God. So once again, verse twelve is not work for your salvation, because we don't work for our salvation; we receive it by faith. Instead, it says, "Work out your salvation." And if you look at the down there, number two, a uh, little definition there. Literally, it means. To carry to the goal or to carry to its ultimate conclusion. Let me read these definitions and then we'll talk about it. Work out your salvation. To achieve the goal that has been set by you or by someone for you. So if you've you've decided to follow Jesus, God has goals for you. God has a design for you. He has a life plan for you. He has a transformation plan for you. And by the way, another thing that Christianity is not, Christianity is not a self-improvement program. Not at all. Christianity is uniquely different than going to a seminar where you might pay a lot of money or you might get to go for free. Maybe somebody else will pay for you. Where they teach you how to do behavior modification on yourself, how how to have a better positive mental attitude, how to, uh, you know, uh, develop some self-discipline, how to get rid of some bad habits how to you know, develop some good habits, that kind of thing. Christianity is not a behavior modification program. It is a transformation, uh, li- trans- a life that's transformed. The old life is put away. The old life is, if you will, uh, illustratively, buried in the waters of baptism. When a person becomes a Christian, Christ enters that life. And if allowed to, he will become the predominant influence and prompter and energizer of that life. And so, uh, once again, Christianity is not behavior modification or self-improvement. It's a relationship with the living God who now exerts his influence on your heart and your mind and the change comes from within. Not, the origin is not you. The origin is from heaven. And what do we do? We surrender. And what does surrender mean? To join the winning Okay, about three of you believe that. To join the winning side. Sur- to surrender is to join the winning side. If you say God come into my life, He's not going to go. Oh, good, another one I can destroy. He's not. He's not going to do that. Another one I can frustrate. I'll make him go through hell. No, He's not going to do those things. He says, Great, I can't wait. There's healing that's needed here, and there's wrong thinking that's over here, and there's bad behavior and self-destructive behavior over here, and there's insecurities here, and I can't wait to come into this person's life and exert my influence and love them and fill them with my Holy Spirit and just begin to prompt them and help them believe that if they'll trust me instead of re- instead of responding the way that that. that they usually do and get themselves in more trouble, if they respond the way and trust me with their life, things are going to be increasingly better all of the time. Not problem-free, not trouble-free, not perfection, but better and better and better. It's God's desire to conform you and to, to give you a life that increasingly looks like Jesus. Not divinity, but wholeness, healing, health of mind, health of emotion, health of psyche, all of those things God wants to do. Look at the notes there, Romans 8, 29. It says that God's intention is that you would be conformed to the image of His Son. So when we are working at our salvation, if we are surrendering to God, and surrender means to join the winning side, to carry, if we're working at our salvation, we are letting God carry his design and his goals to their ultimate conclusion in our lives we're seeing god do what you want with me i'm going how do we work it out i'm going to trust you i'm not i'm every time i catch myself responding the way that i used to i'm not i'm going to try not to respond that way if you're prompting me to have faith instead of striking out, if you're prompting me to forgive instead of hold a grudge, if you're prompting me to speak instead of be quiet or be quiet instead of speak, if you're prompting me to to say no to that thing and yes to this thing, I'm going to surrender to you. That's how we work it out. We're surrendering to the Lord. And His design is that as we surrender to Him, our lives are being conformed into the image of His Son and we are increasingly looking more like Jesus. Jesus. In holiness, in love, in patience, in kindness, in loving the unlovable, all of those things. That's God's design. Now let me just kind of put it in in terms that we understand perhaps a little better. Uh, Number three, I'm just going to kind of paraphrase it here. You know, January is usually a really good month for health clubs, isn't it? gym membership skyrockets and we all have good intentions about you know losing weight and working out and all these things and so they i'm sure they are cashing in everybody's waiting for their bonus on january 31st you know and it's a great thing to want to go to the gym we should take care of our bodies you know our bodies are a tool that we serve god with so i encourage you to take care of yourself um you know take care of yourself so that you can take care of others so that you can serve the lord So we get these big aspirations and we're going to, you know, we're going to work out and all these things. So we we buy a gym membership, which is a good start, um, or we buy some, you know, resistance bands and we're going to do it at home or we're going to hike Westwood Hills, whatever we're going to do. And we study, we get the right hiking shoes and we get the right kind of clothes. And if you go into the gym, you start, you know, take a few lessons and a training sessions with a trainer so that you don't work out and hurt yourself. Has that ever happened to you guys? You know, you're going to go to the gym and you're going to work out and get healthy. And then you come home and you're like, oh, man. And it's not just soreness. It's like you actually lifted the wrong weight and you hurt yourself and tore a tendon or a ligament or something. And yeah, but you have all these great intentions and everything. And everything is there. Everything is in place. Gym membership, the training, you got the cool clothes. You're the coolest looking person in the gym. You got the cool hiking boots, the best looking person on Westwood Hills. Everything's in place for you to succeed. But guess what you got to do? You have to work out. You actually have to do it. Isn't that problematic to you? Why can't you just take a pill and be healthy? You know? Why can't they just put health pills in like Reese's peanut butter cups? Right here, baby. You know what I'm saying? You actually have to work it out. With all the good intentions that you might have, you actually have to work it out or else the desired results don't come. Now, some of us as Christians, we have our favorite things that we like to do in Christianity, But this verse is talking about the whole life because notice, work out your salvation with fear and trembling and then look at your notes. Work out literally means to carry to the goal, to carry to its ultimate conclusion. If God's desire is to conform your life into the image of Christ so that you look more and more like Jesus, Jesus wasn't kind of like a one-sided Christian. You know what I mean? Would you say that he probably had it all together? Now some of us like to study the Bible we love to read, we love to read commentaries and that kind of thing, but we hate praying. Some of us love to go out and share the gospel in the streets or something like that, but we're, but we're unwilling to forgive people. Some of us love to uh, study prophecy and that kind of thing, but we're really stingy with our money. Uh, I don't know if everybody's going to get this illustration. Actually, I wanted to put a slide up, but I didn't, but I'll just tell you because you'll get it. It's super easy and you guys are smart. You ever see those guys that go to the gym, and if, like, if, if I was that guy had my shirt off, sorry to spoil your day, and I'm like, Ooh, you know, just muscles rippling everywhere, and, and then I step out and I have chicken legs. You know what I mean? Just little, little toothpicks for legs. That's how some of us are with our Christian faith. I love to read the Bible, but I have chicken legs with, regarding forgiveness. I love to go witnessing, but I have chicken legs regarding giving to God. I love to go on missions trips, but I won't forgive my parents. You think Jesus was chicken-legged in any way? Emotionally, spiritually, mentally? Yes or no? No. He was, if I can put it this way, I hope it's not irreverent, Lord. He was the whole package. He was the whole thing. Look at your notes again, guys work out to carry to the goal to carry to its ultimate conclusion god has a design for you and romans 8 29 says his design is to conform you into the image of christ and so some of you will say yeah i want to be like jesus i'm going to go home and read more some of you probably don't need to read more i'll get myself in trouble for saying that some of you probably don't need to read your bible more you need to pray and ask god to change your heart about the people that have hurt you because your reading is like big muscles up here and your lack of forgiveness is like chicken legs. Does that make sense? We always eat the favorite part of the meal first, right? You eat the icing before you eat the cake, some of us, or whatever the case might be. We always have our favorite things that we like to do, even in the Christian life. I love to worship God, but I'm not going to serve. I mean, He's here to serve me. I mean, I'm here to get... Pumped up with the music or something like that. You, you guys know what I'm saying, right? So to work out your salvation, you know, with fear and trembling, at the gym they say, don't skip leg day. That's what the, any, any gym rats here? Go cool guys. Okay, yeah. Don't skip leg day. Because you'll be at chicken legs. You know what's kind of embarrassing about chicken legs? Everybody sees them. That's what's embarrassing about chicken legs. Can I throw a kind of a, a sober, uh, uh, scary, uh, maybe life-changing thought at you? Everybody sees our chicken legs. Everybody sees our spiritual chicken legs. To some people around us, it's just as obvious as you putting on a pair of shorts at the gym. <laughs> it's just as obvious. If, I, you know, if, if anybody... Pick pick somebody here or some other Christian oh man, they really they really love to to sing, they love to worship and everything. But I'll tell you what, boy, they cannot hold their temper down. May I suggest to you then quit quit reading or quit listening to, you know, K Love or whatever. Do some study about keeping your temper down. So that you can be conformed into the image of Christ. The whole package. In the early days, when I started teaching the Bible back in the '80s, um, I loved to teach people about sin. I loved to. uh, The the, the phrase among pastors is uh, to beat the sheep. I was I was I was great. I had a high school group. I'd beat those kids up every week. It was great. I'm being a little sarcastic. There was a young lady, and she came to me one time, and she says, "Bill, you know what? We really love your studies." And and my first response was, "What's not to love? Of course." And, but, but she says, we really love your studies, but we always leave feeling really bad. And, that, and I thought, you know, there's something wrong with me. <laughs> they keep coming back and I keep beating them up every week. And of course, they didn't like sin and I didn't like sin. And my focus was change your life, change your life, change your life. But I realized I had chicken legs in regards to walking in the grace of God and walking in the love of God. So I I actually did a Bible study once where I looked up all the Greek words for sin. There's like nine Greek words for sin and I made sure those high school kids knew every single one of them. So they would know all the ways they were guilty before God. I never talked about grace. I never talked about love because all I was was doing was pointing the finger at me all the time because I felt terrible about how I lived and then they got it too. So I actually realized, realized at that moment I'm deficient in understanding about the love of God. And so I didn't study about sin anymore. I, st- I looked up all the Greek words for love and all the scriptures about love and, and God started to heal my, my imbalanced perspective about him. And I began to, to understand the love of God and the grace of God. You guys with me? What are the chicken legs in your life? Don't look at the person next to you. <laughs> what, are, what are the chicken legs in your life? Don't just go back and keep doing the curls. Okay, your biceps are wonderful, but your chicken legs can't hold them up. What, what, what do you need to focus on so that, Romans 8:29, you will be conformed into the image of his son? Jesus, if I can say this, was the entire package. He was everything that we want to be. He was as patient as he was holy. He was as wise as he was disciplined. He was as loving as he was stern. He was perfect in all that he did. And we just very naturally, it's very natural, guys. It's really a natural instinct to just gravitate towards one thing or another that we like. And then we get really good at those things, but we're neglecting perhaps possibly another whole part of our Christian life. And so this is just an exhortation. This is definitely a, 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 a passage that's an exhortation for the body of Christ. Pray, Lord, what are the, what are the chicken legs in my life? Or if you want to take a chance, ask somebody that, that that you consider a friend or who loves you, and let them tell you, "I love your knowledge of Scripture. Uh, I love that you're generous, but you know what? Sometimes you're really mean. Study about being kind. Or uh, you serve all of the time and this and that, but you never read your Bible and you believe anybody that comes on YouTube. You have no discernment. Pick up your Bible." Your chicken legs is lack of Bible knowledge. So guys, let, let God show you. He'll show you. Don't you think? Yes or no? He'll show you. Why? Because He wants to conform you into the image of His Son. He wants to do that. And so His promptings may be to the thing you'd rather do last. Maybe the thing you'd rather do last is the thing you start, need to start doing first. I'm preaching to myself too. So look at verse 12. Work out your salvation, but it says work out your own salvation. Sometimes we're maybe maybe the chicken legs in your life is you like to help other people work out their, their salvation. <laughs> I'm a professional uh, you know counselor, and I get I'm a professional busybody, really is what I am. And I get in everybody else's business, but my own salvation is really out of balance. Guys. Start with your own salvation. Work out, it says it right there, doesn't it? I'm not making it up, right? Work out your, say it with me, own salvation. (laughs) Work out your own salvation. There is a time and a place when we come alongside other people, to be sure. I mean, that's what I'm doing now. But hopefully I've been paying attention to my own life before I make suggestions to you guys about your lives. So we work out our own salvation. We also notice that this effort is to be deliberate. Deliberate. Look at your notes down here, Titus chapter 2, verse 11 and 12. The grace of God, grace means gift, the gift or the divine friendship, the favor of God, the kindness of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, godly lives in this present age. And so God is in the business if you have said yes to Jesus and you have the Spirit of God dwelling within you, he taps you on the shoulder, on the spiritual sh- shoulder, and says, Okay, enough of this. You need to do this. Oh, but Lord, I like doing biceps. No, no, my son, you got to work on the legs. Enough of this. You need to incorporate this. You need to focus on this because you're really, really deficient here. And then we have to be deliberate. Just the gym analogy, I guess, because I'm a guy and I've gone to the gym off and on. Off and on <laughs> for a lot of years. Guys love to work out the upper body, but, but a lot of guys just don't like to work on the legs and then they just look silly. You've got to be deliberate. So whatever it is the Lord is tapping you on the shoulder about, you can't expect that it's going to happen accidentally. It's not. It's not going to happen accidentally. You have to say, Lord, show me, show me that good thing, God, that you want to develop in me. And guys, he does want to develop good things in you. Would you say so? Yes, amen? He wants to develop good things in you. The life of Jesus is beautiful to look at in the scriptures and he wants to make our lives increasingly more beautiful for people to look at. But we have to realize what he wants us to focus on. And then we have to go out and actually do it. We have to be diligent. Now he says here, verse 12, work out your own Salvation. And the word salvation here means a lot of things, actually, in the Greek language, in the original language. It certainly means justification, which means forgiveness. One little paraphrase that we have is, just as if I'd never sinned, when we say yes to Jesus, it's like he looks at us and says, you're forgiven, I don't see any sins. So justification is definitely that. But, but it's also another kind of fancy word, sanctification. Uh, holiness, and sometimes maybe you grew up in a church where you know the more quiet and and somber you were, people thought you were holy. The old one of the old phrases is like you, you look like you got baptized in lemon juice. You know, that's not holiness. Holiness, the word really means to set your life apart for a special purpose. The guitar is set apart for playing. I don't uh, I don't use it as a hammer. I don't use it as a golf club. I use it as a guitar. The guitar is set apart to be the guitar. This pulpit is set apart to be a pulpit. Nobody surfs with it. You know, nothing else. It's just a pulpit. Your life is to be set apart for God. So part of salvation includes you saying, God, I'm going to set my life apart for you. However you want to work in me, I'm going to set my life apart for you. Look at the little notes there. Here's some ideas for you. Victory over sin, living a life pleasing to God. It's not we don't have an expectation nor does God that we would achieve perfection. So if perfection is not told to us in the Bible, rather a continual progress in Christ likeness. Salvation, sanctification means not being held back by habitual and ingrained sins and wrong thinking. Let me just ask you, are you making progress? Okay, we're going to march every one of you up here and you're going to give us a verbal report right now. Suddenly everybody runs for the door. Somebody pull the fire alarm, quick, you know. Are you making progress in your Christian life? Some of us are hard on ourselves and we don't see the progress, and, but we are actually are making progress and that's Beautiful. But if we could be honest with each other, maybe maybe the people that we love in this room and people we love outside of this room, we might we might take the chance and just say, you know, I don't. It doesn't seem like you're making progress. But that's what God's calling us to. Verse twelve: Work out your salvation. Work out your own salvation. Make progress, not perfection not making promises to God about I'm never going to do this again or I promise I'll always do that. None of that. It's just submitting, surrendering, being influenced by the Spirit of God and then saying, you know, I'm going to respond to this. I'm going to respond. Down at the bottom of page one on your notes, it says, to do it with fear and trembling. Look at your definition there. Not a slavish terror of eternal judgment, but of the potential for sin that we all carry. I'm going to read you another uh, quote there by a guy named Vincent, but let me just kind of give you my paraphrase first. I think for all of us, when we say, I'm going to work out my salvation with fear and trembling, it's knowing how bad things can get if you put yourself in charge. <laughs> If I let myself be in charge, oh man, I could really mess it up. How do I know that? Oh, experience. It's that kind of thing. It's, it's knowing, like, I need to be careful with my life. In the book of 1 John, John talks about don't love the, the world or the things in the world because the things in the world are passing away. And then he says, the lust of the eyes, that's, love, that's materialism, seeing stuff and you want it. Or the lust of the flesh, that's passion. Or the pride of life, that's recognition. And I think probably all of our sins fall under those three things. A desire for things or a desire for passion or a desire for recognition. And let me just ask you, do you know which one you're really susceptible to the most? And if you do, that's an area that you really need to be careful with. So I'm going to work out my salvation with fear and trembling. Here I am, I'm a Christian. I got great biceps, but I noticed I have chicken legs. Okay, God wants to give me big legs, like manly legs, you know. And so I need to be disciplined to do that kind of thing. But I better be really, really careful because I know that I'm, I'm, you know, I could do this thing over here if I leave myself in charge. It's a cautious self-distrust. It's an awareness of the potential that you have to do and think and say and want the wrong thing. That's what it means. It's not slavish fear from God and God's going to crush me. Or It's just being careful. Look at this uh, uh, quote by a guy named Vincent. This fear is self-distrust. It's tenderness of conscience. It's vigilance against temptation. It's taking heed lest we fall. It's a constant apprehension of the deceitfulness of the heart and of the insidiousness and power of inward corruption. It is the caution and circumspection which timidly shrinks from whatever would offend and dishonor God. This is human responsibility. It's an awareness. Lord, if I'm not accountable. Lord, if I'm careless. I guess it's like maybe having, I don't know, Let's say you have a pet tiger at home. Don't bring it to church, by the way. And, and, you, and, you tame the, and you tame the tiger. But you know what? He's still a tiger, isn't he? And if you can neglect that tiger for a while, what does he do? He reverts back to his, his jungle instincts. He can't help but be a tiger. You can tame, t- tame the tiger, but you've got to stay on top of it because the tiger will just start acting like a tiger again if you ignore him. Maybe that's an example of us the Bible says, "All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God." We are sinners, and in, unless God is exerting His influence over us, restraining us against some, uh, away from some things and prompting us towards some good things, if we neglect ourselves, we're just going to go back to what is instinctual, just, just how it is. My wife and I have eight beautiful grandchildren, and our youngest one is Julian. He is an angel. With a pointed tail. <laughs> He's eighteen months old. And he was with his sister on on our bed yesterday, and I was on there, and I was playing with my little angel Julian. And his little and his sister kind of got in his space and he hit her. And so she went crying. And I'm like, Julian, go give Sissy a kiss. And he looked at me and he went. Slides off the bed and go kisses. Eighteen months and he knows he's sinning already. A little conscience was working. That's you and me. If we're not restrained, we revert back to the tiger. So working out your, working out your salvation with fear and trembling is realizing... Uh, There's there's some work I need to do and I can't just do the things that I like. I need to be the full package like Jesus was and it's God's desire to conform me into the image of Christ and all that. But I got to be careful with myself because if I'm not deliberate, I'll just start going back to my instinct. And the instinct isn't good. He wants to transform you. And so we get to the second verse here. First... Verse 12 is God's command, but verse 13 is God's divine abling. This is wonderful, guys. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. The word works there is the Greek word energeo, and it means to be active, efficient, effective, powerful. Guess, guess what word we get from energeo? Energetic. God is energetically working in you. It means to produce, to work, to be active. None of us as Christians, if you're a follower of Christ, should ever wonder if God is going to change you for good. It's always his intention to change you for good. Regardless of how many times we've tripped and fallen and stumbled and blown it and made bad choices and reverted back to our you know, natural instinct, no matter how many times it's happened, God is not going to stop wanting to conform you into the image of Christ. Guys, it doesn't matter what you've done this week, last week, a month, year, ten years. It doesn't matter if you're in Christ. Number one, they're forgiven. Number two, God's mission hasn't changed. He's always wanting to give you a life that looks more like Jesus. Always. He's energetically doing His part to reshape your desires and thoughts and actions. How many of you guys are thankful for how God has changed you? Amen? Yeah. Okay, everybody that raised your hand, you can, you're free to leave. The rest of you have to stay. The beatings will continue until holiness improves. <laughs> God is, it's, it's always his concern to do that. He's always going to be after that. He wants to change us. He's the initiator. He's the source. He's the designer. He's the power supply. We can't do this ourselves. So God is working energetically in us and our job is to surrender, which means to join the winning side. Surrender to the Lord. He he taps us in that invisible, soulish way on our spiritual shoulder and says, excuse me, boy, you really need to get disciplined here. Oh, you're right, Lord, okay, I'm going to. He's the prompter. And then he gives us the strength and he gives us the desire He doesn't force us or compel us, but He exerts His influence upon our hearts. He's putting in us what is good. We work out what God has worked in. It's a process. If you've been around here for any amount of time, you've heard this for the newcomers, you're going to think it's brilliant. I'm not sinless, but I sin less than I used to. Anybody else? Amen? It's a great thing to not be trapped with all the stuff that I was trapped with 30 35, 40 years ago. It's great to be free of so much that. Not perfected. Don't expect to be perfected in this life. But it's getting better and better and better. Every time I say yes to him, he does good things in my life. Less guilt, less shame, less less self-hatred, less embarrassment, less things I have to hide, all those things. It's his desire to give me a life that looks more and more like Jesus. Notice what it says here, guys. This is really just wonderful. It is God who works in you energetically and he does two things here in this verse. He causes you to will to do his good pleasure and then he causes you to do his good pleasure. He changes your desires and then he gives you the power to do it. It's a wonderful thing and look down at verse 12 here or number 12 here in your notes on page 2. When we fail to live godly lives and we grieve over it, we can still rejoice. Why? Anybody know? Rose, tell me. Say it again. Yeah. Both of you are right. Bless you both. You get extra cookies at the cookie table. Sometimes we beat ourselves up so much about our failures, but guys, if you weren't a Christian, you wouldn't care that you failed. You wouldn't care that you had sinned against God. You wouldn't care that what I just did wasn't part of God's work to conform me into the image of Christ. It's a beautiful thing to hate sin. Amen? It's a great thing to say, you know, Lord, I don't want to do that thing anymore. I'm tired of it. Where'd that desire come from? You? No. The tiger doesn't, the tiger doesn't have that desire. The tiger wants to be a tiger. But when the tiger is born again, he's something else now. He has Christ in him. And there's new desires. And for you to hate that thing, for you to hate that lack of discipline, for you to hate that unforgiving heart, For you to hate those activities that you're involved in. For you to wish that you were more patient. For you to wish to say, Lord, I'm tired of my temper. I've gotten myself in trouble so many times because I'm angry. Or here's another one. I'm tired of being hurt. I'm tired of that thing that somebody did to me so long ago. And others have done it too. And I'm just putting up the walls and I'm not going to let anybody get close. And I'm tired of living inside this little self-made cocoon. I'm tired tired of, of not trusting people. All these things that can cripple us. Guys, God is working energetically to cause us to want to break out of those things or say no to those things or say yes to those good things. He's changing your desire, but, he's, but it's not automatic. You still have to take a step of, starts with F, ends with eighth. You still have to take a step of faith. You still have to say, okay, I'm going to do it your way. I'm not going to revert back to my instinct. I'm not going to revert back to the alcohol or the drugs or the sex or the activity or the gambling or the, or the tricks or the planning or all these things that I do uh, to, to to be able to navigate life. I'm not going to revert back to those things anymore. I'm going to take your I'm going to take your steps and you're conforming me to the image of Christ and you're even changing the way that I feel. I love that God changes the way we feel. It's a great thing. You guys agree with me? It's a great thing. He doesn't just stand up on, you know, in his ivory tower, as it were, and just shout commands to, to people that hate hearing from him. He gives us desires that we can stand back. When we, when we follow his desires, we can stand back and say, gosh, why, why haven't I been doing it this way? Why have I been doing it the other way for so long? He changes our desires. He causes us to will. Look at, that, look at the quote here from Romans chapter 8. If you could follow along with me in your notes. As many as are led by the Spirit... These are the sons of God. What characterizes a son or a daughter of God? What characterizes a Christian? Somebody raise your hand. I want to make sure you guys are engaged here today. Go, it's an open book test, by the way. Yeah, Connie. You're led by the Spirit. Christians, we have a lifeline. Who wants to be a millionaire? We have a lifeline. <laughs> we have a lifeline to the Lord. And he speaks to us, and we can call him, and he gives us the answer. And we don't use up the lifelines. I'm killing the analogies today, aren't I? We don't use them up. We can keep calling on him all the time. We're led by the Spirit. And that's proof, wow, I'm changing. But I'm a Christian, and I still cuss. I'm a Christian, and I still do these things. Well, they're not good to do. But the reason that you care is because God's changing what you want. He's changing you. It's his desire. Now work it out. As many as are led by the Spirit of God, look at your notes. These are the sons of God. You did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. It's a wonderful thing to finally get to the place as a Christian to say, I know that I know. I know that I know I'm a Christian. Not because I'm perfect or this or that or anything else. I know that I know because I have a relationship with him. Debbie and I have been married 37 and a half years. Nobody's going to talk me out of the fact that somebody named Deborah Jean Walden actually exists. Why? Because I talk to her every day. (laughs) Does that make sense? Nobody's going to be able to talk me out of the, the fact that Jesus Christ lives Why? Because I talk to him every day. And he speaks to my heart. And that spirit bears witness with my spirit that I belong to him. I can know that I know. I hope everybody here knows that you know that you're a Christian. If not, um, first of all, say yes to Christ. But then secondly, really push into the relationship. Really push in. And begin to hear his voice. He causes you both to will and to do according to his good pleasure. Look at the final notes here on the bottom of page two. To will. Here's the definition. It means to have in mind. To intend. To be determined. To purpose. To desire or wish. To take delight in. To have pleasure over. God puts it in our hearts to forgive that which seems unforgivable. To have faith when we want to run and hide. Lots of Christians are fearful. And if we're if we're fearful, it's probably because we've been hurt and we don't want to be hurt anymore. I totally get that. There's still some situations and people that I'm still avoiding, and that's an emotion. And I'd rather live by faith. So I'm still under construction too. But God doesn't want me to be running and hiding. He wants me to walk in faith. He causes us to speak when we want to be quiet. He causes us to be quiet when we want to speak. There's a good one. He causes us to be deliberate and disciplined in our pursuit of God. He causes us to do. It means to put forth power. He helps us to do these things. And it's according to his good pleasure. It brings him much pleasure when we are able to follow through with these things. Some of you guys have really good poker faces out there, I'll tell you. I want two things to happen today in the life of every Christian here. I want you to be radically challenged and I want you to be radically encouraged. There's somebody has said something about this, and I'm going to just paraphrase it. Sometimes there's not much difference between a rut and a grave, just the width and the depth. And ruts can turn into graves. And it's easy for us as believers, as, as followers of Jesus, to get in a rut. And we stay in the rut. And have you ever noticed, if you're in a rut, and think, of, think about the, the Wild West or the Old West, the wagon wheels in that rut. You get in that rut and you, then you're sinking down and it's hard to get out, isn't it? I mean, you really got to, it's, it's easier to, as far as uh, energy being put out, it's easier to stay in the rut in some ways than to try to get a boost of energy to pop out of the rut. guys, there's not much difference sometimes between a rut and a grave. And if you guys are in a rut, God wants to pop you out of it. He does. He does. Let him tap on your shoulder again about that thing that's lacking or that thing that shouldn't be there or whatever it is. He's working energetically in you to conform your life into the life that looks more like Jesus. It's according to his good pleasure, but we have to work it out. with with an awareness of if I don't, hmm, I could cause some trouble for myself. And he wants to work it out in us, but we have to work it out also. He prompts us according to his good pleasure. Now what was the reason that we read verses 1 through 11 and verses uh, 14 through 16 was because this is what applied to the Philippians. What do you think the Philippians, what, what rut did they need to get out of verse 14? What were they doing? Murmuring and complaining. Murmuring and complaining. They weren't getting along. That never happens at church, does it? <laughs> Every time you guys laugh like that, I know I hit a, I know I hit a home run. <laughs> of course it does. We don't get along sometimes. We're family. Families fight. <laughs> as soon as you step into a church, it's not perfect anymore. <laughs> don't look for the perfect church. As soon as you show up, you ruined it. <laughs> For some of us, what do we need to work out with fear and trembling? Learning how to get along with each other. So why did he he say then, uh, verses 5 through 11, because Jesus lowered himself to the lowest point. Jesus humbled himself. Now just notice the connecting of the dots. Jesus humbled himself lower than any of us will ever humble ourselves. And he is the example. Therefore, work it out. You guys connecting the dots? Intelligent listeners, right? You guys, are you guys with me? Yes or no? I'll keep you here all day. I won't. You can't get along with people? Guess what you got to do? Humble yourself. That's, this, these are not random thoughts put together, guys. There's a stream of thought here. Humble yourself. Well, it's kind of hard. Tell that to Jesus. He humbled himself to the lowest place. And what, what are we concerned about? Getting lifted up. When Jesus humbled himself, then he was lifted up. So go work it out. By the way, quit complaining. That was their challenge. But there's a lot of challenges that we have, aren't there? Let me close with this quote from Ray Stedman. <coughs> Excuse me, down at the bottom of page two. Ray Stedman says, Work out your own, work out your own solution. Work through the problems and trials and difficulties presented in ordinary daily life. Use your mind and your will to solve your problems yourself in the confident expectation that in doing so, God is also at work in you to make you both will and do of his good pleasure. That is a marvelous statement of the Christian's experience of being led by God. When you find yourself starting to lean into the idea of actually forgiving that person that has hurt you so badly that's the lord when you find yourself starting to lean into the idea of coming out of your shell and reaching out to people that's the lord when you find yourself willing to sell that thing that's a terrible distraction to you it's not a, it's not an evil thing but for you it's a distraction Because it's taking your heart away from from family and marriage. That's the Lord. He's causing you both to will, and then He'll help you to do. When you're hating that sinful habitual thing that you do and you wish you could change, that's the Lord. That's the Lord. He's working energetically, and He's not going to stop. it's his job, it's his desire, it's his mission to conform us into the image of Christ that we would have lives that look more like Jesus. With all the people that are seemingly turning away from Christianity right now, and sadly, um, you know, did you guys read about Joshua Harris, Harris, uh, the guy that wrote I I Kiss Dating Goodbye? Remember that book in the 90s? He, He has now just proclaimed that he's not a Christian anymore. I don't know his story. But when I meet people like that, or when I hear about them, especially when I meet them, they often the complaint is, well, the church this and people that and all that kind of stuff. I, I get it. I'm a pastor. I know how bad church can be. <laughs> I know how good it can be too. But I always want to say, what did Jesus do to you? And nobody can ever say that he did anything bad. It's people. It's us not humbling ourselves. It's all its all the, the peripheral other things, the secondary, tertiary things. But Jesus is good all the time. All the time he's good. Let him have your life. Let him set you free. Amen? Let me pray for us. Father, thank you so much. You have such a grand agenda for us, Lord. And, um, Sometimes it's frightening to see what you want to do in us, Lord. They're, they're, they're not small steps of faith. Sometimes it feels like huge steps of faith. But, God, you're good. And you will hold us and you will lead us and you will be our safety net, God. You will be that thing that balances us, Lord, and sustains us, Lord, because you're a good God, Lord. So, Lord, help us, we who, we who have said yes to you, to be diligently working out our salvation with fear and trembling, Lord. Because it's you working in us to cause us to will, to desire and to do and follow through those things that delight your heart. And in the end, they delight our hearts too. I pray your great blessings, Father, over this congregation. Thank you. Once again, we lift Pastor Rob and Jessica up to you. Refresh them, God, as they're away for a time and uh, bring them back refreshed and full of faith and, and full of life. Thank you, Lord. Bless Calvary Chapel in Napa, Father, we pray. Bless all the churches that hold up your name. Thank you, Lord. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you guys. Bless you.